Good morning and welcome to Crosswalk. I am so glad you're here. Um, thank you, guys. Let's all do that together. Good morning, Dee Dee. I wore my really high heels today to try to be as tall as Pastor Stan. I don't think I did it, but I tried. Um, we are in the middle of a series. This is probably one of my favorite seasons anyway is Lent. Lent is, is a time where you give something up, but for me it's also a time where I take something on. And during this series, uh, or this season, we're in a, the middle of a series called Empty to Overflowing. And I, I have to tell you, too, I love this picture. This picture our very own Carrie Lynn Lucas took right over at the Copeland House in our gardens. Isn't that a beautiful picture? But it reminds me. It reminds me that God is more, more than we ever will need. Amen. So let me tell you what's going on. Today we're going to talk about finding joy. Why'd y'all go, hmm? (laughs) Joy really isn't a dirty word, I promise. And it's really not a word that you have to dig to find. But it is a word that's used in all seasons, right? You can have joy. Did you know that? Even when you don't feel it, when you don't see it, when it seems a little icky, right? Right? So the scripture we're going to dive into today is a scripture in Psalm. And, and uh, to set it up for you, they're not 100% sure, but they think it's in a time when David's son has ran him out of town, y'all. His son. Did you hear that? Ran him out. He has ployed to a place where David has to go, and all David has are just a few good men. How many have been in that place? Where you know you're headed in the wilderness and the desert and all you've got are just a few good men or women. Well, that's where David is. And I love this part about David because uh, some people think he wrote the Psalms, some don't. But what we do know is that David knew that the Psalms that he had written in the past weren't going to work right now. There had to be a new one. So here he is, headed out into the desert. Scripture, part of it says it's the wilderness, then the desert, then the wilderness, then the desert. But what we know is he's trying to get to a part of Gilead that's kind of the safe part. But it's going to be a journey for him. It's going to be a journey for him. So we go to Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8 is what I'm going to read for you if you want to stand with me. And this should be a prayer that we pray, guys, every day. It says, God, my God. Ooh, that's already started out good, huh? Not your God or their God, my God. It's you. (laughs) I search for you. My whole being thirsts for you. My body desires you in a dry and tired land. No water anywhere. Yes, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power and glory. My lips praise you because your faithful love is better than life itself. Wow. So I will bless you as long as I'm alive. I will lift up my hands in your name. I'm fully satisfied as with a rich dinner. 
My mouth speaks praise with joy on my lips. Whenever I ponder you on my bed, whenever I meditate on you in the middle of the night, because you've been a help to me and I shout for joy in the protection of your wings, my whole being clings to you. Your strong hand upholds me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. So here's our question today. Can our praise be full even if our lives appear empty? Are you sure? Here, here, here may be a little bit simpler terms. Can our lives be filled with joy even if we're not happy? Are you sure? Right in the middle of his suffering, when God seemed so distant to David, David wrote one of the greatest psalms because why? Because he thirsted for God's joy. Because he believed in God's joy and because he showed God's joy. And those are three points that I want us to talk about. So when I was writing this out and talking it through with Jeff, what usually happens to me is I think, okay, this is pretty good. And then in the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit wakes me up and says, no, you're not done yet. And here's what the Lord showed me. And you talk about wipe me down to my knees. You can't worship and worry at the same time. I didn't hear a big enough amen on that, y'all. That was a good point. You can't worship and worry at the same time, amen? One of them's got to give. Now, I can tell you that being in the desert, I don't have any idea what that's like, but I can tell you what it's like to be 10 weeks pregnant in the middle of Juarez, Mexico, and it's 117 degrees outside. Now, let me tell you, my makeup started out on my face, ended up in my waistline. I was sweating in places I didn't know that could happen. And most of all, I had on the tackiest shoes you have ever seen, and I didn't care. That's what the desert looked like to me. And 10 weeks pregnant, all I wanted to do was sleep. I could not find a place to be still long enough. But maybe for some of you, your desert has looked very different. How many of you said, Lord, where are you? Like, do you even hear me anymore? But here's what David did. David didn't worry. David worshipped. And you know what he did? He acknowledged his situation. Dry and tired land with no water anywhere. So he acknowledged where he was. And sometimes I have found this for myself. Sometimes we walk around so spiritually dehydrated we don't even know it. I remember the first mission trip I went on with Jeff. He said, now, honey, there's one word you have got to remember this entire trip. I said, what? Drink. I'm like, what? He's like, every time you see a kid or adult on this trip, you tell them drink. There are 180 people. He had 150 kids on this mission trip. How am I supposed to make them all drink? He's like, just say it all the time. Because what happens when we dehydrate? 
We don't even know it. And then the next thing, we are sick. And we begin to think that spiritual dehydration is any different. It sneaks up on us and we don't even know it. So David was trying to get a handle on this before that ever happened. And here's what's really cool about this is, you know, David wouldn't have even known what it meant to thirst if he hadn't have known what it meant to overflow. That was good too, and y'all didn't say anything. <laughs> David would not have known what it meant to thirst, guys, if he hadn't known what it meant to overflow. Amen? We know, aren't we grateful and aren't we thankful that we know what it means to thirst for him? Because we have felt him in the dry and barren lands, right? We have felt what it means to overflow in his presence. Amen? Maybe we are empty, though, because of the things we are chasing. I was going to kind of glide over that because that one stepped on my toes, too. I'm just saying. But I wonder, Facebook, money, our jobs, relationships, the so-called self-help and spiritual books that have piled up and cost you no telling how much money, right? Because you're searching. And yet, all the books in the world were still empty sometimes, right? Sometimes we get so spiritually dehydrated that we forget to say, you know what, Lord, I, I, I thirst for you. Sometimes, though, it's just as simple as taking a drink. When your schedule's busy being here at church on Sunday morning, why do we come? So we don't get dehydrated. So we don't get dehydrated. The second point is he believed it. He believed in his joy. He believed that the joy of the Lord would be his strength, right? <laughs> David's son was trying to kill him. And he still stopped. And he believed. The irony is that we haven't already experienced God's deep and unconditional love. We may not can thirst for it, right? But all of us in this room have, right? Do you believe that? So a lot of times I talk about my mom. Y'all know my mom and my dad are my favorite subjects. But I have to tell you the reason I am on this platform today is a real simple story. My mom and my dad met after my mother had been a widow for about 10 years. And when my brother's dad died, he was a year and a half old. My mom was a 27-year-old widow in the 50s. Put herself through college. And when she got out of college, she became um, a director at the Dallas Power and Light, which now is TXU, I think, still. But now it's an apartment complex in downtown Dallas. This is where she would meet my dad. My dad was a VP there, and um, my dad would come to some of the concerts that my mom would sing for, and he loved it. 
But I'm not sure at this point when mom and dad started dating, as the story goes, that he necessarily believed it. Until one day, a group of them decided to go to lunch in downtown Dallas. And when they're walking, there's an area that you could walk behind the building. And I've even walked through there because my dad showed me one time. And across the street is the old Greyhound bus station. Do you guys know where that's at? It's still there. It's going to outlive them all. And dad said while they were standing there on the side of the road, he said, literally, we're getting ready to walk into the cafe and I hear this person yelling your mother's name. And he said, all of a sudden, I'm I'm, I'm a little fearful. There is a man running across the street at your mom meeting. But when the man got to my mom, he said, Miss Merle, you don't know me. But he said, about three years ago, you sang in the prison where I was. And because you did that, I will never be back there again. And my dad said, don't tell anybody because my real name isn't Dee Dee. He said, Delana, in that moment, there was nothing else to do but believe it. And how the power of God can work in a song and in a word. And how that man was in a dry and barren land and my mom was obedient to her call. And she was one of the last women that went through all the prison system. And it was a daunting task for a woman in the 60s. It was a daunting task. But how in the world would she have ever described the day that a man would run across the street and say, because of you, I'll never be back there again. But that wasn't for my mom. You know who that was for? That was for my dad. That was for my dad. And because of that, my life and being raised in the home, because it would be about eight years later I would come along. The way that I was raised was raised in a way of believing that God works in all things and that God gives us all a special gift. And in those dry and barren lands, sometimes all you've got left are those gifts. But in that moment, my dad believed. What has that moment been for you? Then, my last point that I love about David is he showed it. David was thirsty and in the desert, and he said, I'm fully satisfied. Now tell me how that was a thing. I'm in the desert. My son is probably trying to kill me, and I'm satisfied. And not only that, he says, as with a rich dinner. Like he went on to describe it. He was probably eating lizards, gross. And whatever else he could find in the desert, it certainly wasn't a rich dinner, though. Have you ever heard the phrase, though, fake it till you make it? (laughs) Sometimes for us, showing it is just faking it till we make it. Here's one thing, though, that 
if I could just leave one thing with you that I hope you take with us, that sometimes finding joy isn't about us. And when you begin to show it, sometimes joy is about helping others find that joy. Sometimes the joy that you're looking for, that you're craving, that you're thirsty for, Sometimes it's not in how that begins to fill your life, but maybe it's in how you begin to fill others' lives. So my question would also become, how are you finding joy in pouring into others' lives? How many of you know this week you could have said, hey, I know five people that should be here with me today that need to know the joy of the Lord in a way they've never seen before. Or maybe some of you could have bought the guy next to you a cup of coffee. Trust me, if you're a coffee drinker like me, that brings a lot of joy. It is beyond happiness. And then if I get it drunk, then it's going to bring you a whole lot of joy too because then I'm not going to be in a bad mood. Amen? Sometimes the greatest thing that you can do to show it is pour that joy into someone else. Um, probably about, now it's been about 16 years ago, and one of the churches that I was at, I met a gentleman that would become my very best friend. He ran sound for all the things that I did. I mean, all of them, indoor, outdoor, whatever we were doing, Todd was there. Todd was a helicopter mechanic for the city of Dallas, the police department. And on the side, he would come to church and he was so techy, his head was there. And he and I could get into some crazy conversations and had this beautiful wife and three children. And we went on revival. Now, y'all need to stick to that word because you're going to hear that word a lot in the next few weeks. But we took two vans and our crew from our UMC church went and did revival in Mississippi. And if you've never been to revival in Mississippi, you are missing something. It's a whole new level of revival, isn't it, Bob Baker? I mean, they'll even feed you live crawfish if you want it. But on that trip in one of our services, my friend Todd surrendered to ministry. And right in that moment when he surrendered to ministry, he surrendered to youth ministry. In a church that was running about 10 people, by the time Todd was done in a year, they were running about 70. You could tell that God's call was on Todd's life. And all this time, he and I are yucking it up, and y'all, we fought like brother and sister. We were super close. His wife would, would call me and say, I need you to deal with him. I would. But about two years on mission trip, two years into his time as a youth pastor, Todd got sick. 
we were on a CTCYM mission trip, and he said, Didi, I've got to go home, which spoke lots. And I said, okay. One thing led to another, and Todd, at 39 years old, ended up with intestinal cancer. What a journey that was. What a privilege and an honor it was for me to go through that journey with him. And one day, Jeff and I got the dreadful call of, hey, I need you to come up here to the hospital. He said, Tony's up here, would you come? And so Jeff and I gladly went up to Zell and met with him. And he said, okay, so here's the deal. I'm dying, and I know I am, and I need you to make sure this happens, this happens, and this happens. And then I want this in my, I mean, he had it all worked out. Told me everything, how he wanted his services. He said, Tony's sitting right here, but I don't want her to have to worry about this. I want you to worry about it. That was our relationship. I said, okay. I said, but Todd, here's my question. I said, what do I tell these kids when they tell me how much they've prayed for you, but you passed away anyway? What do I say? And I'll never forget. He raises up and he pulls over on the side of his bed and with this big grin on his face and he didn't smile often. He said, God doesn't owe me a healing. God healed me a long time ago. Even in death, my friend found joy. And the crazy part is, I know he even found more joy than that. Because a couple of days before he passed away, his wife was sitting next to me. And he goes, she goes, you know how this is going to go down, don't you? And I said, no. He's going to die on your birthday just to get the last word. Guess what? That's just what he did. On my birthday, six years ago, almost seven now, I lost one of the closest people in my life. And yet... For him, all he did till the day he passed away was search for the joy. Was he happy about dying? No. Because let me tell you, he had a list of things that he wanted to do with that youth group. He was caring for these kids that needed him. He was loving on people that needed to know he was there and he was that steady in their life. He was a steady in mine. I needed him to stick around. But God didn't owe him a healing. But God did bring him a joy. Sometimes, guys, God's not going to prevent us from walking in the desert because the desert is right where we need to be in order to find out where God is taking us. Do I think God causes bad things? No, I do not. That's a whole different sermon, though. But I do believe that the grace of God and the joy of God will fulfill you. When you thirst for it, when you believe it, and when you show it, I know from experience he will show up and he will be God. And you will have a joy that you cannot even describe to anyone else.
So can, can we praise him when our joy seems fleeting? Can we find the joy when we're not happy? Can we allow God to bring us from a place where we are so empty and parched that we're not sure how we're going to drink, but we'll drink whatever just to get this feeling to go away? Because what do we know? (laughs) That there's going to be this time of overflowing. And it's coming, amen? So can our praise be full even if our lives appear empty? My answer, my answer is yes. We thirst for you. We search for you. In a dry and barren land, we're longing for your hand to guide us to a place where you can cleanse us with your rain and baptize us once again with thirst search for you in a dry and barren land in a dry and barren land we are longing for your hand we are longing for your hand to guide us to a place where you can cleanse us with your rain and baptize us once again When our lives, they seem dry and they seem barren. We can find our praise and we can find your joy, God. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you and we give you glory and we give you honor. Because, God, we know that we can't worship and worry at the same time. So what are we going to choose to do? God, in this place at Crosswalk, we're going to worship. We're going to believe and we're going to stand in that God. Because we know the God that is within us is stronger than than the circumstance that is surrounding us. We choose to worship. In your precious and your holy name.